Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. Today I'm joined by Spencer Tuma and BJ Tanksley. Uh, guys, thanks for coming in today. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for letting us on. We are in the middle of the week where we've had so much going on. Um, there's We started off with the Super Bowl, of course, on Woo! Sunday night. Yes, thank you, Spencer. Yes. I agree. I'm not going to do that. But Second I'll just best day of my life. <laughs> the entire state of Missouri <laughs> is proud of Kansas City Chiefs. And yes. if you are not a Kansas City Chiefs fan by nature, What's wrong with you? I would like to be the first person who is from Western Missouri to welcome you to our bandwagon. Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate I am the, the second person from Western Missouri to welcome you. Um, BJ, are you from? No. <laughs> Southeast Missouri. Southeast. Proud. BJ, yeah, yeah. who is your football team? Who do you like? Proud Cowboys fan. Always have been. Um, if we're going to start measuring, we'll start looking at trophy cabinets, and, yeah. and we'll be all right oh, with that. My. We'll come back. Well, we appreciate your honesty. There's yeah. always next year. One of these decades. I appreciate the fan. I appreciate the state of Missouri and will always cheer for Missouri's teams, but I cannot change my allegiance. You know, the Cowboys have a lot of chances. A phrase we're really familiar with in the – um, Chiefs Kingdom is there's always next year. So it's something we've, we've gotten is. really... Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's getting deep here. <laughs> thanks. thanks. We we're really livening, livening things up. Yes. <laughs> well, so that was just day one, and that had nothing to do with politics or anything. But then we went on to um, a lot more federal uh, political stuff going on. We had mm-hmm. the State of the Union address on um, Tuesday... Is yes. that right? Yeah. Iowa Tuesday. caucuses were Monday. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I knew there was something else in there. So we hosted a Minor big State thing. of the Union party at my house where we grilled pizza and drank mm. a lot. And grilled pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, grilled pizza. It was a lot of wow. fun. No, Maybe we actually did can do I that, just think we, I think we should. We should celebrate that as much as we did the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, Iowa caucuses on Monday, that actually does relate to agriculture. Absolutely. Quite a bit. So, um, yeah, what do you think is going to be the takeaway from that? It has been quite an ordeal if you've been watching the news on the Iowa caucuses. As everybody who pays attention to politics generally knows, the Iowa caucuses are really the first major event election-wise when it comes to any major election, particularly presidential elections. Unfortunately, Monday night when the results started rolling in, the results didn't roll in at all. (laughs) Wait, Monday night they didn't roll in? We are recording this on Wednesday morning. Excuse me. It's Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Um, And we still do not have the official results from the Iowa caucus. And particularly, we're looking at the Democratic caucus. Um, The Republican caucus is fairly open. We have the results there. Fairly open and shut, but the Democratic caucus, uh, TBD on the results. And I was looking at the map of um, of county by county. I think the New York Times website had like a county by county breakdown of who won what and. Mm All the ones along the Missouri border were mostly Buttigieg had taken those. Uh-huh. Klobuchar had taken one or two of them, which is interesting because the only other counties she won were, like, attached to Minnesota, which makes sense. Right. Um, but I thought it was interesting to see, like, there, there's very little difference between the extreme northern parts of Missouri and the extreme southern parts of Iowa. And so I wonder if he would have that same type of um, support in, in parts of Missouri, too. So That's an interesting point. When I was looking at what results have now been reported this morning, we're still at, I believe, 96% um, of local authorities reporting. Um, Pete Buttigieg is leading Bernie Sanders by, I think, 0.1 percentage yeah, points. A, Very a slim margin. Um, so it was Buttigieg, Sanders, Warren, and then Biden in a distant fourth, and mm-hmm. then Klobuchar. Um, Amy Klobuchar is an interesting candidate because she is from the Midwest, and that's something she's really touted during her campaign. She's actually also one of the only Democratic candidates who served on the Senate Agriculture Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in fifth at this point. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's worth pointing out one of our counterparts that works in Iowa 
predicted about this kind of an outcome. Um, Mayor Pete had spent a lot of time in rural Iowa and had really worked that vote um, as a more of a middle of the road candidate. He he felt like that um, Mayor Pete was really reaching out to these people and connecting. Um, It'll be the most interesting thing to me is to see if there's any momentum from this. You know, there was no major announcement on Monday night because so you didn't get to have that party with the scene. Yeah, the big victory. Uh, yeah, uh, you yeah. didn't get to claim victory um, as as clearly. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that momentum carries over, I think is going to be the most interesting thing to watch because he, from my understanding from people in Iowa, he spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Right. A- and, and the people of Iowa really do care about who they see the most often and who they're able to hear speak. They go to a lot of events, and so they pay attention to who's spending time there. That may be an indication that he may not have been spending time or as much time in these coming states. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not that momentum builds or fades will be probably the most telling thing. Um, but it's all clearly an interesting outcome, especially yeah. with yeah, those two, Cannon, uh, Bernie and Buttigieg being so close to one another. Uh, we're talking stark differences. Well, and if it comes down to a decision for voters later in this, mm-hmm. if they have to choose between those two mm-hmm. of who's going to be their candidate, this conversation changes a lot from yeah. when you've got 10 to more people to yeah. Pick from. Well, and I thought it was actually really interesting looking at that map again. Yeah. That it reminded me of looking at the map of the United States that you see after every presidential election, where you know it's mostly red and then just a few spots of blue. But the population is so concentrated in the blue spots that yeah. it overwhelms or sometimes matches closely with the red spots. Well, there's I think what 99 counties yeah. in Iowa, yeah. and Buttigieg won like 72 of them or something. Right? So the the map looks like he won everything. Yeah. But then you look at the numbers and you see. He's neck and neck with Sanders, and Sanders only won a handful of counties, but his is very concentrated. And so he has more of that urban and suburban support, whereas Buttigieg has more of that support of people like, you know, our members, mostly of of that nature, the rural um, uh, type of people. And I guess that matches up also with the fact that he's been struggling mightily to get any African-American vote. Mm -hmm. He um, has fairly, it's been well publicized that he got zero percent support in several polls by African-Americans. And that makes it tough for him as a Democrat candidate um, nationally. So anyway, I think it'll be interesting, interesting yeah. regionally to look at. So we had Iowa, right? Very strong Midwestern ties. But then the next kind of big one is New Hampshire, mm-hmm. very different part of the country. Yeah. Um, that is an area where Bernie Sanders is likely to perform very strongly just because he's from Vermont, which they're neighbors. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things go. And I think BJ's right. Um, interesting to see um, if any momentum from Iowa carries over into the next several big, and, big elections. And the big question that everybody seems to be asking in a, in agricultural world, at least, is, is this the end of the Iowa caucuses because of the mm-hmm. way that they botched it? Mm-hmm. And it matters because it really brings such an eye on foreign policy because of the fact that it is first in the nation. It makes it it forces all the candidates to at least think about the rural policy issues. Yeah, and the fact that it's different. I think that does draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it's different led to some of these problems, though. Right. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. Um, there was a lot of talk immediately following, is, is this the last time this is such a big deal? Yeah. You know, it only happens every four years anyway. Um, but is it going to be as big a deal next time it comes around? I w- happened to be in the halls with Missouri Secretary of State this week, and uh, he was clearly happy that he is not associated with elections in <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> The jokes write themselves, but it was fun to see, and we were able to toss that back and forth a little bit because 
this was kind of a black eye for something that people have been building to for mm -hmm. at least two years where we all knew, hey, all of this political talk is all building towards one thing. And one last thing from a Missouri perspective, at least living here in central Missouri, there's a lot of Bloomberg ads running on TV yep. and he was not even playing in Iowa, as I understand right. it. He didn't even try. Yeah, yeah, didn't even try. And so I think it'll be, again, interesting to see where that kicks in if it does. Um, my understanding is he won't be in the next debate because he's self-funding mm -hmm. his campaign. Mm -hmm. And so some of the rules had led to him not, but he may be in the very next one. So yeah. two from they changed and, the rules yeah, to allow, to allow him, to him in. in, which there had been some debate as to whether he wanted to be in it. Yeah, because he's doing pretty well by not being in them. And, and he is burning up the airwaves right here in at least mm -hmm. in central Missouri. I've heard it may not be that way everywhere in Missouri. Um, but interesting to see if that 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 ad buy and strategy is, is going to work or not. Yeah. And if you look at the real clear politics uh, average of polls, I was looking at that last night and um, his line has just been shooting straight up uh, for the past month or so since he really started hitting it hard. And, yeah. and I heard the other day that he's already spent more money on TV ads than Hillary Clinton did her entire campaign. Holy really? cow. $250 million yeah. of just TV ads already. And we've had one, one yeah. night. Well, if, if, it, if it grows from here, he's definitely laying a heavy groundwork of setting his message here, in, here at least in Missouri. And, and there was an AEI study that showed that um, he was the most friendly towards trade of any of the major candidates in um, the Democratic primary. And that's not terribly surprising being a businessman and a former Republican, too, um, that he might be more open open to some of those things. But um, he he's an enigma in a lot of ways. He's just um, he's a one guy with some strange opinions about some things and strong opinions and weak opinions about things that you wouldn't predict from a Democratic candidate. But on that note, uh, trade is an issue that we've uh, been having a lot happen on um, since we've really last talked about it. So um, we had the agreement with Japan go into effect right at the beginning of the year. And I guess that's where we ought to start. What's that looking like, Spencer? Yeah, so things have really... Um, I've been on this podcast a lot of times where I've shared maybe some not-so-exciting news about trade, so it's really nice to come on here and share some some good things that yeah. are happening with trade right now. As you mentioned, the U.S. and Japan entered a trade agreement on January 1st of this year. Um, so we're really looking forward to seeing the results of that. Obviously, we're just a few weeks into that agreement, so there's not a whole lot to report at this time. Those numbers are still coming in, and that agreement's still getting off the ground. Um, but we're really excited because it does bring the U.S. more into alignment with the countries that are involved in the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we were really excited to be involved in. Unfortunately, we um, pulled out of the CPTPP, uh, but now we will be back um, kind of on a level playing field, particularly with Japan, which was one of the major markets in that agreement. Yeah, and it really was, well, it was the second largest market other than us that yeah. was in it because... The United States is the largest economy in the world. China's number two and Japan's number three. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty big deal to have a, a opening of agricultural markets over there. So that could really make a big difference as we get it fully implemented. Right. A lot of continued good progress on trade as well. Um, in a, on January 15th, the president officially signed the phase one deal with Chinese officials, uh, which will... Um, kind of It's kind of like the first step. I kind of see it as the first step in a long journey to getting an eventual trade agreement with China. We know that has kind of become a long road over the past couple of years with the tariffs and, and all that situation. Uh, but we're optimistic about the phase one deal. It does um, 
have China agreeing to buy an additional 40 to 40 to 50 billion dollars worth of agricultural products annually over the next two years. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a really good sign. Uh, We hope that they are able to follow through with that. Obviously, there's a lot of other things going on in China right now, uh, not only in the agricultural space with African swine fever, but in the public health space with the coronavirus outbreak. Um, So we're hoping to see those things get off the ground, but definitely want to be sure that the safety of Americans and of the Chinese citizens is our number one priority. Yeah, and that was something there's been a lot of talk about in the past week is, are they going to be able to start fulfilling these purchasing uh, commitments? Because the the ports are, some of them are looking at shutting off Mm -hmm. some imports and some American um, ships may not want to be docking there right now until they get the coronavirus thing under control. Um, there definitely could be some problems just because the raw numbers that they have to meet are huge. Right. And they, if they would take a couple months out of the year, it would be pretty tough to make those up later. Sure. So. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I think that whole situation is really still developing. Um, and there's a lot at this point that we don't know about what will happen. Yeah. And then another huge thing is You've been on this podcast probably 40 different times predicting that NAFTA or that uh, USMCA is just around the corner about to be signed to take over take the place of NAFTA. And Done. it actually happened. <laughs> check. We're excited to finally check that one off the yeah. list. I am almost excited about USMCA getting signed as I am about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, wow. <my. laughs> so, um, anyway, so the day after they signed the China Phase 1 deal, you're laughing. Is there going to be a parade? You're laughing, but it's true. I hope. I hope so, too. We could He's have the one MVP. here. We could do the song again. Well, I would love to do the song. <laughs> I love the song. And yeah, I would love to know. do a parade. Yes. Mm-hmm. The MVP is Robert Lighthizer, wow. U.S. Trade Representative. <laughs> that was a pretty <laughs> definitive answer there, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, trading cards, too. <laughs> I wish. No, anyway, so the day after the U.S. and China signed the Phase 1 deal, the U.S. Senate historically passed the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement in mm-hmm. an 89-10 to 10 vote. Both Senators Blunt and Hawley did support the agreement, so we're really excited about that. Uh, the following week, President Trump signed the USMCA, clearing the final legislative hurdle in the United States. It is now fully approved. The only thing we're waiting on is Canada's parliament has to approve USMCA. We have every indication that they will do so very quickly. They just have some procedural things that take time, just like we did. Uh, but once that's done, it should be going into effect. And we're really excited to see that get across the finish yeah. line. And, and I think that the biggest takeaway from this may be that um, the vote margins, like you mentioned, it was about a 90% margin in both the House and the Senate. Yeah. In the middle of all this, in the middle of the impeachment, which we haven't even mentioned yet, right. which um, President Trump was just acquitted yesterday. Yep. Um, and the day before that was the State of the Union, which we haven't mentioned either, which was m- almost indisputably the most partisan um, by both sides of any State of the Union in, mm-hmm. in history. And in the middle of all of that, we were able to show the world that we have a 90% majority in both houses that's willing and able to pass a new trade agreement. Right. That's a really good message to be sending and gives our, our allies and our potential trade partners a little more confidence that we aren't just a complete mess. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree. I think it's been a big week, as you said, the State of the Union and the impeachment. Watching the entire USMCA stage of events, timeline, I guess I would call it, play out in the middle of all these things happening has been really interesting to watch. Right. It it was amazing to me, honestly, that the Senate took up USMCA literally minutes before starting the impeachment trial. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just thought there was no way that they would do that and give President Trump a win yeah. right before they start putting him on trial. Right. Yeah, I but think they were willing to because it didn't matter that much. That's been my opinion the whole time is there's no way they can give a win while trying to impeach. Yet we were able to. Uh, no doubt politics played a role in the delay of this. We could have seen it much earlier. Mm-hmm. But but I do think it is some credit is deserved, although it was much delayed that that. Luckily, we were able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And we, gosh, in the middle of all this, we were in uh, Austin, Texas for the AFBF annual convention, and President Trump came and spoke there, and um, Sonny Perdue, Secretary of Agriculture, spoke there as well. And he had, they both uh, talked a lot about the potential trade partners Mm -hmm. we might be able to reach out to now. Uh, What what do you think we're going to be seeing on that, you know, in the next few months? So there's a lot of potential trading partners that we are exploring the idea of forming an agreement with. And one that I find really interesting, and I think I've mentioned this before, is the United Kingdom, especially with everything going on with Brexit. Oh, yeah. We didn't mention that either. Brexit happened last week. Brexit (laughs) happened. Yeah. So, yeah, there's kind of been a lot. Yes. Full plate. Overshadowed by the Super Bowl. Which, okay, side note, total tangent. But did you notice that the guy that um, handed the coin to the uh, ref at the Super Bowl, the Tuskegee Airmen, was also the guy who was recognized oh, yeah. at the State of the Union. You're right. right. He was made a brigadier general uh-huh. and on Monday. So he hands the Super Bowl coin to the, ref. to the ref on Sunday. Monday, President Trump makes him a brigadier general, and Tuesday gets introduced to the nation at the State of the Union. What a life. What a, yeah, he's for had a 100-year-old guy. He's had a busy agenda for a 100-year-old <laughs> man. What a week man. for that guy. Yeah. No. Anyway, no kidding. side note, but I was noticing that, and Sarah's like, my wife is like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I swear that's the guy. He handed them the coin. And it was. <laughs> anyway, but yes, there's been a lot on the plate. Right. So the United Kingdom is obviously one that is really interesting to talk about when it comes to trade because of Brexit and because of the EU's, um, I'll call it very protectionist, very restrictive trade policies that they have in place, particularly when it comes to ag products. We'll be interested to see if the UK adopts those similar practices and standards or if they kind of go their own way uh, and decide to do something a little bit different. India has been in the news a lot recently as a potential market for U.S. ag products. So um, there's just a lot of potential out there. And I know that in the State of the Union, the president highlighted a lot of wins on Mm -hmm. trade. But I I would say that the president's agenda on trade is long. Yeah, it's ambitious. And the EU potentially, which... I mentioned the rankings of of world economies. If you count the EU as an economy, it's number two, I think. Mm -hmm. It's the U.S., EU, then China, then Japan. Um, So that's a huge possibility. It's just there's a lot of issues to work out. Right. That's a tough one. Yeah. So we'll uh, keep our eye on what all's going on there. Back at the State House, we have a lot happening as well. It's been kind of surprising, actually really surprising, I think, how much has been happening in the first few weeks of session. It uh, usually takes a little while for them to to get uh, things rolling, but this time they're really moving. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Usually those first few weeks or months of session have been – you know, kind of reorganization and getting everybody reacquainted and finding their committees. But um, this year, there's been no wasted time in the state capitol of taking up issues. And we've been very fortunate that some of our main priority issues have been some of those that have come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Part of that's because these are issues that were, came up last year but weren't necessarily resolved, um, whereas, you know, not brand new issues. Some of those are still working their way through the process. So and, I think and, that and plays And we're working with it. the same people this yes. year. It, it's not... 
um, let's see, on what years? This is even numbered. So yeah. on yes. odd numbered years, you're swearing in a new batch of people That's right. and having to bring them up to speed and see where everyone is and take their temperature. And this year, you're coming back around with yeah. the same team. So Yeah, but the fear of that, it goes both ways, is that in an election year, people may not be interested in taking tough right. stances or even tough votes. Um, we have not seen uh, any kind of hesitation towards some of these bigger issues, including uh, redistricting reform, um, property rights issues, Missouri-made fuels. Some of our major conversations have already started in the Capitol, and some of them have moved pretty far. Um, one leading the way would definitely be um, talking about the use of eminent domain and protecting private mm-hmm. property rights in those conversations um, with House Bill um, 2033 by Representative Hansen. This is much similar to Representative Hansen's bill from last year. Um, it has actually already passed the House. It was the first or one of the first couple bills actually officially passed by the House, over, overwhelmingly passed by a 118 to 42 vote, um, and it is now in the Senate. Um, the Senate also has language for those same to that same effect of Senator Brown with Senate Bill uh, 597 and Senator O'Laughlin with Senate Bill 604, and those have already gone through committee, been heard, and voted out of committee. Um, in the Senate, if it doesn't have overwhelming support, a lot of times it doesn't come out of committee. Um, this was a situation where we did have to work hard um, to to get it out of committee with a vote of six to five. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually is a very close vote. But now that bill is actually eligible to go to the Senate floor for debate at any time. Um, so we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of opportunity. I do think the early movement is an indication of willingness to take up this issue. Um, and we're very thankful for that. You know, the use of the domain does have to happen for some uses. Nobody's arguing that. But we want to make sure that we're not allowing for-profit companies to come in and take Missourians' land on the cheapest possible dollar um, in order to reach markets far from Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, there, you know, there, there's always two sides of this. There are some communities in Missouri that could benefit from the power uh, by the Grain Belt Express um, project, uh, but we don't. We think that's outweighed by the amount of land being, um, being looked to be taken and the precedent that it sets. You know, the truth is we've heard a lot from the company looking to come in that, oh, we don't want to use the power of eminent domain. You don't have to use it. If you have the power of eminent domain, if I have it and I go to Spencer and say, hey, I'd like to negotiate to buy one acre of your property that wasn't formally for sale, um, that changes the conversation whether or not I ever use it. Just because she knows in the end if she refuses my offer, I can offer lowest dollar possible, and that's where it ends up anyway. It's not a true negotiation. We are not against the project. We do think there could be some benefits to the project, um, but we're against the use of eminent domain and taking taking land for the for the least dollar possible. Yeah, and I think that there's uh, it's important to make that point that companies like this don't owe any responsibilities to the local people. That's exactly right. Whereas, like if your local utility provider uh, wants to put a new line in somewhere, well, they also have to. Um, provide you power and and send people out to read your meter and have people who live in the community. And so there's some back and forth there, and they want to treat you well because they're going to have to keep working with you. Yeah. These people don't. And those companies also um, answer to the PSC. Yeah. You know, Missouri has a, a set of checks and balances for utility regulation, and those companies all have to go through the PSC to negotiate rates and make sure that those are fair and equitable and, and that those companies are doing it for the right, right amount of money and, and not moving too quickly. Um, this company would not have to do so. Um, they, would, they wouldn't answer to a state authority. And, and those rates that they've offered to some mainly not be good forever. There's been a lot of conversation about how could you be opposed to this or, you know, there's already power lines in a lot of places. 
those people see immediate benefit from those power lines. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a power line crossing my, my piece of property, I know that that's powering the school or the or the city that I live closest to. This isn't the case for this. These, these cities are many times, my, many, many miles away, including as far away as Alton, Missouri, which I've seen is over a five-hour drive yeah. from anywhere where this, this line will be ha- yeah, housed. Yeah, that's almost in Arkansas, so, and this yes. thing's going across northern Missouri. Yes, exactly. Well, all right. The, um, the redistricting debate has also been taking up um, a lot of time this week. Um, That's something that I think is we're going to see more of throughout the year, right? Yeah. Um, we were we were excited to see um, Senate Joint Resolution number 38 by um, by Senator Hageman um, come to the floor. We've been an early supporter of that. Um, since 2018, when we saw the um, the amendment that was titled Clean Missouri passed, which included a lot of ethics reforms, including a new redistricting process that would um, look to form a competitive balance in, in uh, Missouri House and Senate um, district races. And so we were looking to, to we, we we opposed that when it passed on the ballot. Um, and so as soon as that passed, our members were concerned with the lack of rural representation that that would cause. Um, and we've been looking for an answer to that. And Senate Joint Resolution 38 would send a new redistricting plan that would be much similar to the previous redistricting plan um, back to a vote of the people. We think this is a great opportunity. You know, I do think there were some of the ethics changes in the clean Missouri that people uh, agreed with and thought were necessary. And they may have thought that the redistricting part was, you know, a when it, when the balance was weighed of whether a yes or a no was important, they thought the ethics outweighed the redistricting. Well, let's send it back to them and let them have another mm-hmm. opportunity to do this because the way we see it, if you try to draw competitive maps across all of Missouri, um, that's going to be very difficult. Um, they say this is going to clean up gerrymandering, but I can't I can't imagine a more gerrymandered map than trying to find a 50-50 district in many areas of the state. And, and- Missouri's map isn't that gerrymandered. No, no. If you look no. at it, it's mostly full block counties and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think, going to continue to be a big argument. Yeah. So, the so, biggest question on that, though, is people are saying, so are, is this the legislature trying to overturn the will of the people? Well, that's a good point. Um, but you're not overturning the will of the people if you're sending it back to a vote of the people. Mm-hmm. And I, I it's think only just, the effort is reaffirming. to put it back on the ballot yeah. as giving them another sh- shot at it. Exactly. To see if that's really what they meant with that vote. Exactly. And so that Senate bill came to the floor <coughs> last week and was filibustered <coughs> until three in the morning because there is opposition to it. Um, but this week they brought it back up and were able to give first round approval um, to the bill. And we expect first First thing next week for them to take up and third read that bill. So it'll proceed to the House. There are similar bills in the House that have started through the process, um, and we've been there in full support of those as well. We expect quick movement on that. It's a big issue, and so we're expecting the legislature to take that up, pass it, and then move on to other issues. So we're excited about that. All right. Well, one of those other issues is uh, about Missouri Made Fuels uh, Act, I think. And that's something that our members put their support behind at our annual meeting. Yes. I think that's going to get some traction to do. Yeah. So we've had early hearings on that. I think in some of the first hearings in both the Senate Ag Committee and the House Ag Committee, they took up the Missouri Made Fuels Act to ensure that a percentage of biodiesel of fuels made of diesel fuels made in, made and sold in Missouri contain a percentage of Missouri biodiesel, um, largely soy-based biodiesel. 
biodiesel. So we're excited about that. They had hearings in both the House and the Senate. Um, they haven't been voted out of committee yet. Um, there was some opposition that came to those hearings, um, and I think the the main sponsors of the bill are working with those oppositions to find um, consumer protections and other pieces to allow those things to move forward. This is a seasonable, flexible standard, um, 5% in the winter and up to 20% in the summertime um, to avoid any gelling issues or things you may have heard. Um, this is mirrored after a project that Minnesota did, um, and from what we're hearing from them, they haven't had the um, horror stories that you may hear um, from these fuels. There's a lot of benefits to biodiesel. Obviously, it increases the farm markets. Absolutely. It increases rural markets, It's but it's also cleaner fuel. It's better for the environment um, and supports our economy, so I think there's a lot of good things that can come from this. Um, and then, not to be undersold, is the fuel independence thing. You know, mm -hmm. if, if our farmers are able to produce more of our um, vehicle moving fuels, um, that's a good thing in the long run. You know, right now, because of federal policies, we're seeing more domestic fuel than we have in the past, mm -hmm. but that's not always going to be the case. And, and if we can help stabilize the fuel market and the ag market at the same time, there's a lot of good that can come from doing this. I think, particularly with all the unrest we've seen surrounding international trade, any opportunity we have to increase domestic markets is really important. And soybeans, you mentioned most of this is centered around soy-based biodiesel. Uh, soybeans took a very large hit mm -hmm. when the thing when everything with China has gone down and those markets still have not recovered. So yeah. this is just another way that we can continue to support um, our American farmers and ranchers. And we yeah. don't want anyone to any commodity to be dependent on one marketplace and right. exactly. want to spread out the diversity of where we're selling to. And mm -hmm. the number one marketplace we want to have a solid um, place to sell is right here at home. So this could provide that. Yeah, and, and we've heard from some of the urban centers that are actually using this in their bus systems and train systems, mm -hmm. and they're really excited about the environmental benefits as well. They see it as a, a much more green option, and they're going to heavy blends of biodiesel for that reason. So I do think there's a lot of positives out there. We we look forward to seeing that move. Um, like I said, we're working with the opposition to to protect some of that consumer part. And to be quite frank, the, the, the fuel delivery infrastructure of the state. You know, we all go to the gas station to get fuel. We have to make sure that it's workable for those people as yeah. well. So that's what we're working through. Great. Well, one last policy issue we're going to discuss is feral hogs. Yeah. Uh, we've got a little bit of movement on that too, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this at length on several occasions. Um, our members had a, a study group over the summer and talked about feral hogs and issues surrounding them. Um, one of the policies that we, they came forward with was allowing landowners and landowners agent to use um, thermal imaging and night vision on private properties and properties they have permission to to, to use those on. I don't like to ha call it hunting, but for eradication purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is a very effective way um, to eliminate feral hogs. It mm -hmm. really is. And so we have a bill, um, House Bill 1292 by Representative Dinkins, that's looking to allow that. Uh, we've been working closely with, with the representative and the Department of Conservation, the Department of Agriculture, um, to move that bill forward in a way that it works for everybody. You know, there are some safety concerns. And from conservation's point of view, they want to make sure that there's not rampant poaching of other animals going on, while at the same time achieving the goals of wanting to see as many feral hogs eliminated from the landscape as possible. So we're excited about those opportunities, really appreciate Representative Dinkins' focus on this issue um, and looking to do all we can. Um, there may be some opportunities with that bill to address some other issues we've seen with feral hogs. So we, we, we'll always be looking for things like um, increasing penalties for moving or holding feral hogs, as well as we've heard from Missouri Department of Agriculture that the definition of feral 
hog may need to be tweaked. It's a little bit outdated. Um, and so we're looking to make sure that we're able to enforce the laws in the book, increase penalties for anybody moving those as we continue to move forward, um, always um, with that main goal of eliminating feral hogs from the landscape. Great. Well, this weekend, starting tomorrow, is going to be the Young Farmer and Ranchers Conference down at the Lake of the Ozarks at Margaritaville Lake Resort. Ooh, we, it's uh, beautiful weather for Margaritaville. Oh, yeah, as usual. Nothing it, like a few inches of snow to, yeah, to make you want to head to ice. Margaritaville. It's a perfect right. time to be there. Uh, but inside, it'll be warm and cozy. Um, there's quite a bit going on down there. Anything, any highlights for you, Spencer, that you're looking forward to? So I always really look forward. The um, Young Farmer and Ranchers Conference does have a trivia night supporting yes. the Foundation for Agriculture. I uh, hear we the all- questions are fantastic. I hear they're Spencer always be enjoys finishing second. So yeah, we'll... that's... <laughs> yes, oh, I would really like oh, to win. I'm super competitive, but Man, it's fine. If only you knew who was writing the questions. Right, or if only the person who was writing the questions would help me out and give me some hints, hey, but it hasn't happened everything. yet. Anyway, uh, so I always look, really look forward to that. I think it's a good opportunity for um, members who are just getting started in the organization to meet people from their area and hopefully get a good introduction to Farm Bureau. Uh, if you're interested in learning about legislative issues, BJ, Leslie, and I are the, I guess, headline performer. Ooh, yeah. that, that sounds very <laughs> I'd like to leave it as lunchtime speaker. Lunch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we're talking over the lunch hour. You're talking while people are eating. Yeah. <laughs> right. So keynote speaker, the headline performer, right. <laughs> um, lunch speaker, whatever you want to call it, we will be there. Um, and we'll be there throughout the conference to talk yeah. about legislative issues. I think the uh, most exciting thing about young farmers and ranchers is truly we're not that far removed from that age but to well, see young are still in that age <laughs> to see Spencer. young people <laughs> that are really getting started and excited about agriculture. They do personal profiles of people, these young leaders from each area, and it really always, this may sound soft, but it is encouraging, and it's always, it it really is uplifting to see people that are diving headfirst into this industry, Um, and it kind of reminds me of who we're working for out there. It really does. I know that sounds um, touchy-feely, but it's the truth. It really does inspire me when we hear from those people, and it gives them an opportunity to visit with people from around their area. You know, these areas are large enough that you may may not know the farmer two or three counties away, but it's yeah. always fun to see those connections being made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity to come have a really good time with a bunch of leaders from around the state, learn a little bit, but also have a great time and be inspired to go back home and continue doing your job. It should be good. And I hope people can join us for the media training session there on Saturday afternoon at two o'clock as mm-hmm. well. Fantastic opportunity. Yeah, those yeah. videos are so good. I love watching them. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to our producer. I've heard Elizabeth. nothing but good things from the media <laughs> training. Hope to be able to take part myself. No, uh, very good. Well, uh, we have another event coming up soon, too, is our legislative briefing uh, here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, when is that, and uh, can people still register to come? Yes, please do. Registration is open on our website um, under events, but please register and come join us for our legislative briefing February 18th and 19th here in Jefferson City. Uh, we will start off at Capitol Plaza Hotel, where we're going to hear from legislative leaders and state-level leaders, um, and then also get some briefings from Missouri Farm Bureau. Then we're going to take to the Capitol, as we always do. Um, it's a great opportunity to go visit with your senators and state representatives, and then that night is always kind of the marquee event, where we'll have close to 400 people here in the building for our banquet. It's always a great opportunity to meet a bunch of ag leaders from around the states in all different sectors. You know, people come from far and wide, and this is another opportunity to meet with those leaders. And then we wrap up Wednesday, uh, yes, Wednesday morning with a live 
filming of This Week in Missouri Politics. If you follow Missouri Politics, that's one of the things you probably see out there. Um, but it is an awesome opportunity. Um, a lot of fun, I think. We're going to wrap up with a live filming of um, the Scott Fawn show, and, and I think it'll be a neat opportunity for our members to see some of that. Um, I've, I've never watched a live filming of it, so I think it'll be entertaining as well as enlightening um, of how that works and some of the behind the scenes. Plus, a great opportunity. They always do a good job of having people from both sides of the issues um, to see a little back and forth that maybe our members don't see on a regular basis to hear arguments from both sides of the... I'm sure the uh, some of the issues that we've discussed right here will be hot topics for that show. So I'm excited yeah. about that. No, yeah, it should be fun. Definitely would encourage everybody to come to legislative briefing. But BJ, if you can't come to legislative briefing, what are other ways that Missouri Farm Bureau members can get time with their legislators? Thank you. That was a great tee up. <laughs> Perfect. Um, You're so yes, welcome. With our Capital Connection program that's held every Tuesday throughout session, we re- we organize that by regional coordinator region. So if you're interested in coming to the Capitol and taking a personal uh, stance in our issues, please do. Um, it, it really is a, a fun time. We, we come to the Capitol, we visit for the morning time, and then wrap that up with a great lunch where a lot of Farm Bureau staff comes and joins the group for lunch. We usually encourage groups of five to ten to, to take part in that. It's really a great opportunity um, to come to the Capitol, come join us for a short day. We try to get you back home before the end of the day. Um, and what, what we really do, and I always tell everybody, is I appreciate them coming and taking a personal stance in this. Mm-hmm. Um, legislators, I use this line a lot, but they see a lot of people like me walking the hallways talking about issues. But to connect that issue to somebody from home and see why it actually impacts people really does make a difference. Um, we have had a few really successful sessions, and we are teed up to have another one this year. And I no doubt believe that it comes from our members taking a personal um, stance and a personal role in our advocacy efforts. It really does make a difference. So if you can't join us for legislative briefing or if you can't get enough of it, come and join us again when your region comes for Capital Connection because I can't thank those people who do come enough because it really does make a difference. Yep, it really does. All right. Well, thank you guys both for taking the time to talk with us today and look forward to seeing everybody down at Tantara. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the wrong one. It's Margaritaville. Tantara no longer exists. We'll see you at the lake and then see you for legislative briefing in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you.